Hi, and welcome to the Happy Lawyer Podcast with me, your host, Katherine Shearer. I am a mom, a wife, a dog mama, a daughter, sister, personal injury lawyer, and wellness enthusiast. I have started this podcast because I have suffered from stress and anxiety and seriously considered leaving law. But when I got clear on what it was I wanted out of a legal career and made some big changes, I discovered law doesn't have to be depressing, anxiety-producing, or permanently high-stress, and I didn't have to be another woman who left the profession. This podcast is intended to get the conversation started and to keep it going when it comes to issues of lawyers and mental health, attrition rates in the profession, and the advancement of women in law. So hi, Erin, and welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. I'm very excited for today's show. You're joining me to talk about your law firm, Flex Legal, which is a law firm that's comprised of freelance lawyers. But before we get there, let's talk about your career path. How, how did you get there? Where did you start out? What pivots did you make? And how did you end up with your own firm? Yeah, so it's not a straight road, my legal career, like many of us. There's a lot of twists and turns. And uh, before I went to law school, I didn't know another lawyer. I've never met another lawyer in my life. I only knew what was on TV. So I only assumed that when I left law school, I would become an associate, then a partner, maybe an equity partner, and then retire in private practice. That's kind of all I I really knew. So that's where I started. I started as a summer student associate and uh, summer student articling student and associate at a, a large Bay Street firm here in Toronto. Um, so that's where I started. And that's all I kind of knew. And uh, when you're on Bay Street and in that kind of practice, that's also kind of the only way you can think about for practicing law, you can't really see outside of that uh, practice area. So that I was perfectly happy there, to be honest. I was uh, a happy lawyer for the first few years of my practice because I was learning amazing stuff. I had no obligations outside of just me. It was me and my practice. So I could work those 20 hour days or whatever. And I was lapping it. I loved it all. I, I loved what I was learning. I loved the files I was working on. Um, and then uh, in about my sixth year of practice, um, between my sixth and or fifth and seventh year of practice, I had two children. I went on a couple of mat leaves. And during my second mat leave, my firm actually took over another firm and uh, they brought on a lot of new uh, lawyers, a lot of overhead. And upon my return from my second maternity leave, the firm let go a lot of lawyers. Uh, it was a business decision they had to make. And being on mat leave, it, you know, it made sense. I was kind of low hanging fruit. So I was one of the lawyers that was let go. And I'm going to have to say it was a huge blow to my ego. I hadn't thought of this ever happening. I had no contingency plans. This was kind of my future. Um, so it, it, it really put me into a panic. So what I did was I accepted the very first job offer that came my way without much analysis or self-reflection. So, cause I thought, oh, I'm a seventh year, almost eighth year associate. I don't have a book of business I can take with me. I, I, I really, I just need to take the first thing that comes my way. And that was in an estate litigation boutique. So I went from corporate commercial litigation where you're dealing with, you know, sophisticated business people dealing with sophisticated business problems. Sure, there's money on the line, but it's not a very personal type of litigation practice. Um, 
it was more intellectual, more legal based. And then when I dropped into a state litigation, all of a sudden I'm dealing with angry, upset, emotional, tired, exhausted people who are fighting with their close family members. And it just, I am, I am an emotional sponge. And I didn't realize that about myself until I got into this practice area. And I was bringing home all of these people's emotions every single day. And uh, within, I, so I worked at that estate litigation boutique for eight months. And I tell everyone it was about seven months too long <laughs> because it just put such a mental toll on me physically and mentally um, to deal with those emotions I wasn't equipped to deal with. And uh, maybe if I had some training on how to deal with trauma or maybe like trauma-informed lawyering, which we're all learning about now, um, I wasn't prepared for the role of being the therapist and the, the, the person for them to cry to or swear at. Mm -hmm, and it, mm -hmm. it, it took a huge toll on me to the point where I was pregnant with my third child and I went to my OBGYN and she was like, Aaron, the stress you're under and this anxiety you're under, you're, you're, you're depressed, you're, you're anxious, and this is having an effect on your pregnancy. And so that, or it could have an effect on your pregnancy. And so that was the permission I kind of needed to give myself to quit. So I quit without another job lined up, which is really scary for a lot of people, but I just, I, ha I didn't think anyone would hire a, you know, a four or five month pregnant woman. So I thought I'll just, even though we're, you know, it's not supposed to be discriminated against. I thought, what is the point of even applying to another job? And I need to get out of here now. So which brings a big long story to where I am now. So I was at home with my three kids and uh, waiting for my daughter to be born and or two kids and waiting for my daughter to be born. And I, I needed something to do. I, I needed something for my mental energy. So I started taking on projects from lawyers that I knew. So I, I was at that agent stage where some of my um, colleagues and friends were starting their own practices but they weren't quite at the point where they could bring on a full-time associate, but they knew I was an experienced litigator. So they said, Aaron, can you help me with this factum I have due? I'm like, sure, I can do that. And then it was, can you help me draft some blog posts? And then, you know, through word of mouth, I kept getting more little projects. And I had every intention to go back to work for a firm. I was just going to wait till, you know, my maternity leave was kind of over. And then when the time came to apply back to Bay Street or back to another boutique, I kept getting this feeling in the pit of my stomach going, oh, I don't want to go back to that. I just, it's not for me. And this time I actually did the self-reflection. This time I sat down and I said, what do I want with my legal career? What, do, what makes me happy? And I realized what made me happy was the actual legal work. I kind of didn't want to deal with the clients. What made me happy was challenging legal issues. What made me happy was having control over my time. Um, picking and choosing what kind of work I wanted to do. And then I realized, well, what I'm doing now, doing these little projects for other lawyers, fits all of those things I want. It, it checks every checkbox. So I gave myself a year. I said, let's see if I can make this work. And uh, I started calling myself a freelance lawyer. And I went out and I hustled. I went to every single lawyer event there was, introduced myself to as many lawyers as possible, said, hey, this is what I do if you need help let me know. And within a year, I was so busy, I was actually turning down work. So 
that kind of led me to um, flex legal because the the light bulb kind of went off and why am I turning down work? There's probably other lawyers who want to work this way and do work this way. And there seems to be a need. So flex legal was born in 2015. Uh, so we're not, we're not a law firm. I just want to clarify that we're a freelance lawyer company. So um, what we do is we match freelance lawyers and freelance law clerks with busy law firms, still practitioners and in-house legal departments who need help on a as needed project basis. So that could be everything from help me draft the statement of claim to I kind of need an ongoing associate that I can turn to while I'm scaling my practice. And so we started with three lawyers and uh, now we have 42 freelance lawyers and 14 law clerks. Wow, that's huge expansion and very quick timelines. That's so interesting. And so what is the what is the typical day like for a freelance lawyer? Yeah, so a typical day can be anything. You could be working on a factum for one sole practitioner, and then maybe you're working on drafting, you know, blog posts for a law firm on a regular basis, or you may just take a Wednesday off because you don't feel like working because you have complete control over your time. So it's really uh, up to you. You work on your own. You don't. Uh, so we were all remote pre-COVID. This is nothing new to us. Uh, we, we rarely go into a law firm's office. The odd time if we have to do a court appearance as, as an agent for a lawyer that might not be able to make it to court, we'll do that. But that's pretty rare. Uh, most of the time it's on your own and uh, heads down working. And what kind of practice areas does that include? Yeah, so we cover pretty much everything, but the majority of our work is litigation-based. So about 80% of our work is litigation-based, basically because I'm a litigator and I have a bigger network there, it's easier for me to scale up on that side. The other 20% is corporate commercial. Uh, in, in, in the litigation, it covers everything from civil litigation, criminal, family, wills and estates. Um, we do do some real estate transactions with our law clerks as well. So really everything, immigration. Yep. Wow. That's very interesting. I noticed in your description of your journey, you had mentioned some struggles with anxiety and depression and overall mental health, and it was potentially even affecting your pregnancy. So what, what was kind of going on at that time and, and how did you handle it? Yeah, it was not a good place to be. Um, I think as lawyers, we put pressure on ourselves to be perfect. And I was always taught, you don't quit. You, if you agreed to you, your word means everything. And if you agreed to do this job and whatever you, you, you follow through and it's still something I believe in, but almost to the, to my detriment, I believed in it. I thought, well, I, I agreed to work here. I just have to keep pushing through, even though I knew inside that it was not the right fit for me but I had already been let go from a job so I already felt like a failure there and to then quit and admit that this wasn't a good fit either I just it took me a long time to get to that point and unfortunately got to the point where I had to have um, someone outside tell me it was okay to quit I had to have my doctor tell me because she's like this isn't good I want to medicate you. And I thought, no, I know exactly what this is. This is my job. This is an external factor affecting my mental health. Obviously there's internal factors as well, 
but I, I, I knew the barrier I could remove. So it really, it took me. And then the moment I quit, it was just like, oh my God, the weight off my shoulders. And I was still scared. And I still felt, you know, so much of our identities are tied up in being lawyers mm-hmm. that when I was off and I didn't have a job and I was just just freelancing um, when people say oh what do you do and it was so hard to say like oh I'm in between jobs because I think lawyers we put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect and be successful and or what other people think is successful it's um, it, it's that pressure that I think I needed to deal with at that time. Mm-hmm. And what do you do to safeguard your mental health now? Yeah for me it's all about boundaries. Um, I know um, I know when it works for me and when it doesn't work for me to talk to clients and talk to well, the lawyer clients and everything and deal with flex legal as a business. So I, I need my downtime. So I don't, as soon as I started freelancing, I stopped answering emails and phone calls after 6 PM and not on weekends. I just didn't. And my clients who are lawyers themselves, respected that completely 100% because they're like, I wish my clients didn't bother me after 6 p.m. And so and one time, I think I answered the phone at seven o'clock and the client was like, I was just going to leave you a message. Why are you answering? I said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even pay attention. So obviously, if there's something urgent coming up or we're helping someone through a trial and they're doing trial prep on the weekend, we're available. But just having that separation, um, because we all worked remotely even before COVID, I, I had to struggle with that separation between work and, and uh, home life too. Um, so you really, setting up those boundaries really helps with me and setting expectations about the working relationship too. It's, um, I, I can't, I'm not the type of person who can be answering a thousand emails a day. It's like, I will, I will get to you when I get to you. And uh, everyone will, is very respectful of that when you talk about that relationship up front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I know setting boundaries is really important in the practice of law for both your practice and your mental health. And it can be really hard to, number one, identify the boundaries that need to be set. And then number two, enforcing them. Yes. Especially when you have, um, you know, needy clients. Uh, I know I could really relate to you when you were talking about your days as an estate litigator. Um, because in the personal injury and medical malpractice space, it's, you know, these are very personal issues and there's a lot of emotions involved. And, and some days you're right, you can be a, a sponge and just kind of take that all on. And so setting those boundaries and making sure you don't do that is also really important. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that you, you brought that up. Is there anything that you struggle with now? Um, well, I think anybody gets wrapped up in, um, the stresses of being a lawyer and running a business and all that kind of stuff. And I think, um, saying no is, well, it kind of ties into the boundaries, but I, I'm, I think life's too short and I want to experience as much as possible. So I have a tendency to say yes to a lot of stuff. Um, and because I don't quit and I follow things through, I find I get, way too busy. So I think my, the thing I struggle with um, is, is, is saying no to opportunities that maybe don't align with where I am right now with my practice and my business. And I have to, I should take the time to 
think about the opportunity before I quickly respond. Yes, I'll do that. That sounds great. Cause I would say yes to everything. And then I just find myself too stressed out and anxious about everything. If I, if I bring on too much stuff and I think as a recovering people pleaser, I don't want to say no to people, but I have to think of it as when I say no to something, I'm going to be saying yes to something else. I'm making room for another opportunity that is probably maybe even better fit than the one that's presented to me. Um, so I think that's something I'm, I'm constantly working on too. Mm-hmm. I hear you there. I am exactly the same. Um, if you're like me and you're presented with an opportunity and you get really excited about it, you feel very passionate. You're like, yes, I want to do that. And then you, you know, you take a, a sober second thought and you're like, how on earth am I going to cram all of this stuff into whatever the week, the month, the year, and then balance life on top of that. And, you know, things add up and you're right. That really adds to the overwhelm. And it's really hard to say no, because oftentimes it's an opportunity that you really want to pursue. And so balancing which opportunities to pursue and which ones to sideline or put on the back burner for a while can be very, very challenging. And I think that's something that just comes with practice. There's no other way to do it all lawyers should learn to do over time. I think as, as new lawyers, opportunities don't come up necessarily as much. So you, you do say yes, but once you get a little further along in your career, there's lots of opportunities and opportunities breed other opportunities and it kind of snowballs. So it's, it's definitely a skill that lawyers need to uh, get under control. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it, it's definitely part of that boundary setting, but man, it can be tough sometimes picking and choosing and I really don't have any advice on how to do that aside from, you know, going back to your core values and trying to figure out, you know, will this propel my purpose forward or is it just something that I'm kind of wishy-washy interested in because it's a good cause or it's a good organization or whatever it might be. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what advice would you have for someone who's currently struggling in the legal profession? Yeah, you know what? It's, it's a question I get a lot. I am also the, on top of running Flex in my practice, I am the regional alumni advisor for the University of Ottawa Common Law Faculty of Law. And so what I do is I provide some career counseling to lawyers in their first 10 years of practice in the GTA. And um, many lawyers, new, newish lawyers come to me and say, I'm struggling. I don't know whether it's my firm. I don't know whether it's the practice area. I don't know whether it's my clients or maybe it's just the practice of law altogether. What, I don't know what's going on. So I think the first step is to try and pinpoint exactly what it is. I think a lot of us me included, we jump from one firm to another thinking that a new firm is going to fix everything when maybe it's, it wasn't the firm, it was your practice area. Maybe you're not right for wills and estates or estate litigation. And so switching firms doesn't help. So I think before you make any drastic decisions about um, your legal career, even, and then some people make even the more drastic decision and think, oh, I'm just going to quit law altogether. You kind of need to do a little bit of research and assessing and figuring out what what the source of the issue may be. It could be multiple sources and then also alternatives. So like I said, when you're on Bay Street, I felt like I kind of had blinders on that Bay Street was the only way to practice law or in a, in a private practice setting. Um, 
because that's kind of what I was told when you're surrounded by people who keep telling you, you know, Bay Street's the best place to be. And I remember people from our firm would leave to go in house and they were frowned upon as if, you know, oh, they couldn't hack it on Bay Street. And I'm thinking, oh my God, like now I'm like, I can't believe I used to think that way. There's in-house lawyers who work harder than people on Bay Street and they're doing way better as lawyers, like doing excellent work. And, and there's so many sole practitioners out there who are excellent lawyers. So I think the first step is also to kind of take your blinders off and see what other opportunities are out there as well. So there's freelancing, for example, there's legal innovation, there's people who are seeing holes in the legal profession or problems in the legal profession and coming up with innovative ways to solve those problems. So if you see something in your practice that, oh, I wish someone would invent this, or I wish someone would provide a service that does this, go do that. That's amazing. If you've come up with something, there's, you know, legal adjacent jobs where maybe you're, you're working for a company where you're not necessarily their lawyer, but you need your legal skills in that company. Like, so the first thing is, I think, to kind of research as well and get to know a lot of people and, and network and make connections in with lawyers who are practicing in different ways than you are and kind of open up yourself to the possibility of working in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think that is all very, very good advice. And um, I, I'd suggest that the same thing comes up when I do some coaching as well. Um, it's that immediate drive to leave the firm that they're at without looking at all of the opportunities or really the reasons why they're unhappy in the current position. And yeah. starting with that evaluation of looking at, you know, what is it about it? Because sometimes it might be a poor fit or a bad firm for you. Um, but that's not always the case. And, and usually there are other opportunities where you are, you know, generally when you're hired on, you're an investment. So they're invested in you and they want to see you do well and grow. And um, definitely we don't want to see people who just quit law altogether yes. <laughs> because, you know, the, and, and as uh, you, know, you can listen on one of the earlier episodes, that's something that's definitely crossed my mind in the past is I'll just give it up. Yeah. It's too, yeah. too stressful. It's not for me. Um, when really that wasn't the circumstance, it, uh, it is for me. I love my job and I'm very, very happy in what I do. And so I'm glad I didn't make that decision, but to really look, and evaluate what it was that wasn't working for me and how I could change that and, and give myself the permission to, to yeah. leave it off if it wasn't working or to make another change if it wasn't working. Because you're right, you have to give up that thought or idea of this linear straight path only in big law, because that really yeah. is when you're, you're fed in law school. Um, and that's, you know, a, a successful legal career can look like so many different things. It doesn't have to be just that straight path. And for some, sure it will be, um, yeah. but it's gonna be different for everybody. Yeah, definitely. So if you were reflecting back, what, would you, what do you know now that you would like to tell your junior lawyer self? Yeah, uh, being a lawyer and working at a law firm is not the same as law school. I thought if I just put my head down and did excellent work, I would get my A plus and promote, be promoted through the ranks. And it just does not work that way. Um, so I think I needed to focus more on the business side of law. I needed to focus on 
And I don't want to scare new lawyers. I think if someone had told me, like, get out there and start making, you know, a book of business in my first year of practice, I would have been like, oh, my God, no way. But networking and business development and marketing yourself, it sounds scary, but really, it's just about meeting people. That's Mm -hmm. all it is. It's meeting people outside of your law firm, meeting people inside your law firm. If you work for a large law firm, get to know people and don't even talk about business or what you do. Just get to know and make those connections. So go to OBA events, Toronto Lawyers Association events, whatever law events that are kind of interesting to you and just chat with people and get to know people. And then slowly through time, you know, the word gets out about what kind of law you practice and someone will be like, oh, well, I know there's a junior litigator at so-and-so law firm. Maybe they can help you. And it's all because you've made some kind of connection with them at an event. And it's harder to do now in COVID, but you can still, there's still virtual networking events that are going on Um, or even just counsel on the other side, get to know them because who knows where a job opportunity might come from, a volunteer opportunity, a speaking opportunity. And the more people you know, and the more people you connect with, those opportunities will present themselves. And I didn't know any of this when I started. I just thought I'm just going to, and plus when you're working like crazy hours and you're just focused on that, it's, um, it's easy to just focus on the law aspect. But even if you Mm -hmm. just do like one legal event a quarter, like one social thing a quarter, or maybe write one article every couple of months that you can post on LinkedIn or something to get your name out there. And I didn't, I didn't do any, any of that. So I think I would, I would go back and tell myself that, you know, don't poo poo the idea of, of business development and networking and branding yourself. Uh, uh, you can still do this as a junior lawyer, even though junior lawyers feel like, well, what do I have to offer? I, I remember feeling that when someone was like, well, go out and I'm like, who, who am I? I barely even know the law. Like, why would anyone want to talk to me? Well, then reach out to them on a personal level, like have a conversation about the weather when you're at an event or something like you don't have to, they don't expect you to be an expert, but you can still go out there and meet people. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of the most important pieces of advice I think that can be given making your network uh, is really important, even from early on. And it, you're right, it doesn't have to be daunting or scary. Um, I can uh, understand and sympathize with the associate who's already working 80 hours a week, saying, how the heck am I supposed to find time to do all of these non-billable activities? Um, you can find the time, you should find the time, and it will pay off in spades. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as you said, especially starting out, go and join like a, a young professionals networking group. Everybody will be the same age, they'll be awkward the same way, not really know what to do. And you form bonds with these people. And as you progress through your career, they progress through their career. And then all of a sudden, you're amongst a bunch of peers with very important titles and you have all of these really important connections, the the same way that you used to look up to people and go, how did they get so well connected? But I mean, it is within your own peers and you will rise up together. Um, And that's another important thing. And and it's exactly right. You don't have to talk about business. You can talk about anything in the whole world. You know, you might both enjoy, you know, running on, on, you know, as your exercise or weekends, or you might have a cottage in a similar area or whatever it might be. Um, and those are really important just connections and to stay in touch with people to really, you know, make sure that um, any opportunity you have to connect with someone, you take it and um, 
try not to stress too much about those billable hours. Exactly. Exactly. Because yeah, you definitely can find that time. Yeah. Yeah. Just set, set a goal for yourself and just make it like an easy attainable goal. Like if you're setting a goal, oh, I need to, you know, meet five people a week and bring in six files or what? No, like you're just going to burn yourself out and you're going to feel horrible because you're not meeting your goals. But if it's a simple goal of every time I go to a networking event, I want to meet one person, maybe get one business card. That's a really attainable goal that you can do and then link in with them afterwards or follow them on social media. If you're an introvert, mm -hmm. social media is huge for networking. You can, you can get your name out there just by following law Twitter and figuring out what's going on if that's your thing too. Absolutely. And it can be as simple as like, if you are, um, for example, a runner, joining a, run, a running group, instead of just going out yeah. for all solo runs, join a running group and you meet, you know, five to 10 people in your community, probably different ages and backgrounds, different stages. That's a perfect networking opportunity. And then you have something in common already. So you have things to talk about, especially if you're doing a long run, you've got lots of time to chat. You know, there's opportunities for this everywhere. And I think it's really important that you brought that up because this is something that they don't teach in law school. And I've been preaching about this forever is that uh, I need to put it together at some point and do a free webinar for people on all the things that they don't teach you in law school, but should. Yeah. Uh, there are quite a few things and the business of law is one of them. And that's a really important aspect, especially if you're working toward autonomy and being in control and having flexibility, because I think the autonomy and flexibility really go a long way in helping you balance and mitigate the stress of the job. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This has really been an amazing chat and I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. So that's all for today's show. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please rate and review the show to help others find this resource. And if you have any questions about your legal career, please head over to thehappylawyer.ca and send me an email through the contact page, or you can send me a message on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to set up a virtual coffee date. See you next week.